Hi, this is episode two of the podcast, It Should Go Without Saying. I'm your host, Andrew Lewis, and joining me today for a Premier League season preview is Declan Kennedy. How you doing, Declan? I'm doing good. Oh, that's good. Um, let's get straight into it. Um, last year's Premier League season was pretty much a race of two that went right to the last day between Liverpool and Manchester City. Uh, they played on the weekend in the Community Shield, the traditional curtain raiser to the Premier League season. What did you make of that game? I think, um, I don't know, obviously the Community Shield's like an interesting thing. There's often not much to say about it, but in terms of, like, I thought it was a good game. Not, normally it's not as competitive as it was, but which bodes well for the season. Yes, yes. I mean, the main thing I took out of it was that the two teams obviously see each other as the main threat. So obviously there was yeah, a bit of exactly. there was a bit of emotion and feeling. Uh, Pep getting yellow carded for yelling at his own team. Um, then in the second half, he was unhappy with the decision. There was a bit of talk between Klopp and Pep on the sidelines. Then Jordan Henderson, who had been subbed off, came down from the subs bench to talk to Pep. It's obviously, it's really important when Liverpool play Manchester City at the moment. That's definitely the case. Um, And you would expect that they would be the top two this season. The squads are like acres ahead of everyone else in in that top six. Other than maybe Arsenal, I think. Yeah, do you... Uh, well, I mean, obviously, for those who don't know us personally, we're both rather large Liverpool fans. Um, are you, as a Liverpool fan, concerned about the lack of transfer activity this season in terms of trying to catch up to Manchester City, who won every domestic trophy last season? I think the thing about this transfer window is because we've... Well, we obviously there's not much we can do to improve the first eleven, so we're looking for young backup signings who can maybe be first team players in the future, which is a really difficult thing in the situation we're in, where in the last you know four or five years we've made some really fantastic signings for small amounts of money that have gone on to be world class players. So any any club that we approach saying we want your 19-year-old striker. There's suddenly a huge premium. Mm. Yeah, you can, you can only fool people so many times, I guess. So the, the money ball signings like your Andrew Robertsons and those types, clubs of that level like Hull City are going to be, oh, Liverpool are coming knocking for one of our players. He must be actually really good, maybe better than we thought he was if they've come knocking for him. Exactly, yeah. Mm. So... That definitely makes the the situation. It makes it harder to bring in those players that we need. Because if you're thinking about what we might have needed going into this season, it probably you'd be thinking a more attacking kind of midfielder, which I'm not too concerned about because I think Naby Keita is going to be coming into his own a bit more this season. And we've also got Ox back, so that's like a whole new signing. Mm. Um. And the only other thing is maybe a, a backup striker of some sort because we well, Klopp, did struggle a little bit with that. But Klopp's obviously very, very keen on Ryan, Ryan Brewster, though, isn't he? Uh, he's been talking him up right throughout the injury last year and you know, there's never yeah. been any talk of him playing much uh, lower-level football. He's in the first-team squad mm-hmm. and he's going to get some minutes at some stage. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And so the the lack of signings doesn't necessarily wor- necessarily worry me, especially now that we've bought um brought in Adrian. So we've got a backup keeper now, which is keepers are more difficult because you can't play two of them on the same pitch. You can change your formation if you've got you can play a Regi next to a Firmino if you wanted to, but you can't play Mignolet and Allison mm. on the same pitch. So. Not yeah, the that, that was the worry with like to- the, the talks that Mignolet was probably wanting to leave was that like 
would we get a backup keeper that was as good as him? And I think we have, which is fairly impressive, to be honest. Well, I mean, two years ago, Adrian had his spot challenged at West Ham by Joe Hart and saw him off and won back his spot. Not so successful knocking off Fabianski, but uh, in terms mm. of the people who are available, and, you know, he's going to be, he comes cheaper than Migdalay, both in terms of wages and also he's on a free, so no transfer fee. That's uh, pretty good business. Yeah, I, th- I think he really is just about the best we could have hoped for in trying to replace Migdalay. Mm. The other issue Liverpool seem to have compared to a Manchester City who seem to compete more with your Barcelonas and your Real Madrids in terms of players is that it never seems to be brought up that players aren't happy to go to Manchester City and sit on the bench, which is essentially what Riyad Mahrez did for most of last season. They bought him for $60 million and he was he was a squad player. Um, that That isn't an option for Liverpool, really. Yeah, I think part of that is that Klopp likes to play a very consistent first eleven, which isn't something that is necessarily the same with Guardiola. He does rotate a bit more. Is this is this something from Klopp's German background? Because I've, I've I've just started thinking this because um, he was complaining about the fact that the Premier League season starts so early, and it, and it is this season particularly. Um, hmm. Klopp is of the opinion that professional footballers should be able to play twice a week and not have their breaks in the, you know, across the season by having a game a week. But you play two games a week and then you get a month off in winter. Um, I mean, possibly, yeah. I mean, there's obviously a lot of things that come from managing in Germany. Um, like the winter break, I think, is... Uh, not having a winter break is, a th- is I think, a, like a big thing for German managers to adjust to when they come into English football. But I think, if anything, he he would he would be saying that because he likes his players to be very very fit. You know, he wants his players to run. Mm, but he doesn't rotate for rotation's sake, or uh, yeah, or exactly for rotation. Mo Salah not, was not uh, often, he, does he? Yeah, no. Mo Salah was in missed one match day squad last season, I think, and that was the Champions League semi-final against Barcelona where he was ruled out for, with a concussion. I think he was in every yeah. other match day squad. So, yeah, I can't, and, I can't think of one that he wasn't in. So, And he, and he came off the bench, I think, in the two, the two games where he wasn't uh, in the starting 11. So, the two cup matches. So, it's interesting. Um, Manchester yeah. City haven't made a ton of signings either. I think their uh, central defence is still mm. a question mark. I thought Stones was good on yep. the weekend, but... I think, yeah, Otamendi made a couple of mistakes. He's not. He's never been the most reliable central defender. I think they'll be very yeah. happy when they get Laporte back. Yeah, definitely. Side. It is interesting. I, I, I tend to agree. I think uh, they see themselves as the main threat. And while I don't think it's going to be 20 mm. points difference between second and third this season, I think it'll pretty quickly develop into one or the other and they see themselves as the main threat. So it'll be very interesting. The other main team that was, the other teams that were successful in England last year in terms of getting to finals and trophies were Tottenham and Chelsea. Um, Had Tottenham done enough this uh, transfer window to bridge the gap? They've definitely strengthened, but I would be concerned that they haven't strengthened in their defense a hell of a lot. Ndombele is a big signing mm. by by all means. But also, there's something to be said for consistency, which is something that they definitely have. And they haven't lost any of their big players. No, and I think I think that's another thing, not to always bring it back to Liverpool, but that's another point about Liverpool's development is they haven't lost any big players, and that has happened previously in the past after really successful seasons. Yeah, I think Pochettino not leaving is a huge was a huge deal for them and that was the first thing that needed to happen because they needed to keep a hold of him. They've kept mm. everyone together. Um, they have a very experienced group who've played many years together now. Um, but I have the same concerns as you do is that that sort of central three of defence. You know, Lloris is a good goalkeeper. I think he's probably just 
a little bit below world class in terms of sometimes he can have some really bad days. Mm, and definitely. their central defense is exactly the same as it was last season, and it, it was yeah. problematic at times. And definitely the, their fullbacks are not the best as well, which is a issue. Well, I mean, they've been they've sort of been stuck with Danny Rose now because Trippier managed to secure a transfer. But I know mm. that Danny Rose was looking to go somewhere else. Um, they've got Ben Davies, but it's the back four is an issue for them, and they it didn't sound like they were really in the market for anyone to sort of fill that gap. Yeah, I don't think I remember them being linked with anybody at any point. Other than possibly Sessegnon from Fulham, who is, one, a speculative uh, mm. target that, that he wouldn't necessarily Look, be playing all the time. And the interesting all, thing about yep. him would be that they also have a very young right back in Kyle Walker-Peters who would probably be looking to, in the next couple of seasons, break into their first team. So if they would be able to get Sessegnon, that might be a good pairing for the long term. Mm. It's interesting that Fulham have been able to keep hold of Sessegnon for the time being, uh, considering mm. the disaster of last season, the fact they're back in the championship for all the money they spent. Chelsea's also an interesting one, and obviously they've got this transfer ban, which has sort of shortened mm. or, or narrowed the amount of things they can do. They managed to get Kovacic over the line. He was on loan last season. But they have essentially the same group as they did last season. Yeah, other than Pulisic and Kovacic. Yeah, and they got oh, they had Pulisic, of course, but but they've mm. lost Hazard, so that's not certainly not a gain for next season. No, yeah, it's certainly a really interesting time for Chelsea. I think it's probably just about the most interesting time in their history since they got taken over by Abramovich. Yeah, it's gonna be if they can consolidate top six this season under Lampard. I think they'd be doing very well. Um, I, th- I can see a lot of uh, similarities between the situation Chelsea's in now and the situation for Manchester United when Ferguson retired. Obviously, they haven't had that success immediately at the end, you know, just, just recently. But Manchester United's problems came out of how they reacted to the, the challenges that they had after Ferguson left. If Chelsea sort of react in a mature way and give Lampard time to build a squad and find out who he wants to keep and don't have the knee-jerk reaction, then I think Mm. Chelsea can really turn this into a positive and be back challenging for titles in two or three years. But if they do what Manchester United and, and, you know, and what Chelsea have historically done through this period and just with the first sign of uh, lack of success, you know, move people on, then they could really go into the same sort of spiral as Manchester United, who seem a long way away from challenging for Premier League titles at the moment. Yeah, and I think um, what makes the appointment of Lampard, I think, a very good decision is that I think if anybody's going to give some of the very talented young players they've been loaning out over the last few years, or over the last forever, essentially, it's him. And if they're going to have success in this sort of transition period, they're going to be needing, they're going to need to trust players like Tammy Abraham and Ruben Loftus-Cheek and give them a real chance to become the spine of this, of a, of a new sort of Chelsea side. What, this is a silly question because obviously all sorts of financial considerations, but would, it have, would Chelsea have been better off in the Europa League this year rather than last year? Or was was uh, Sarri the wrong manager for last year? Because the Europa League presents an opportunity because it's not as serious of a competition to play those youngsters, but Sarri made very few changes to his team. He had the competition to do it, but he, didn't, he chose not to do it. This year... Yeah. Could someone know. like could someone like Lampard with in the Europa League be like, okay, we're going to set this aside. We can get through the group stage playing a youth team, essentially. Um, use it as an opportunity to get six pretty decent and European games. Three of them will, will be in reasonably hostile situations and get that uh, competitive experience into them. 
Yeah, it's it's always interesting thinking about the attitudes that different teams take to the Europa League. And of course, that's changed a lot in the last few years since it became a essentially a Champions League qualifier. But I um, it's difficult. But I, I think the revenue that being in the Champions League will probably create for them might be quite helpful as well. And of course, for a lot of these younger players, having 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 an experience in the Champions League will be useful going forward as well. I mean, hopefully they'll get those opportunities. And, uh, I mean, as far as Chelsea's concerned, and Lampard will mm. be given time to develop that group. And, you know, the, he, they know that when they start to t- turn it round and when the transfer ban's over, they'll get the financial backing to make the moves they need to make to be successful. But if by that stage, if they find themselves in the Europa League or out of Europe altogether, then the big-name players won't want to come. Mm, but I, I think for them at the moment, they need to... I, I, I don't think it's a, it's a point of time where they should be worrying about trying to build a team based off signing big players like they used to. Mm. They, they, they need to, like... They, they really need to start making sensible transfers in the future. Obviously, this season they've sort of been forced into being quite sensible in their, the way they do things. How do you think Pulisic will go in, in England? He's obviously pr- pretty close to the best American soccer player they've ever had. Um, is there going to be too much pressure on him? I mean, he's still like 21, 22 years of age. He's very young. It, it's hard to tell. I haven't watched a hell of a lot of him to be honest. But he's obviously not going to live up to Hazard's standards. You know, he's no. not going to be he's not going to he's not going to be the replacement that they might hope he is. That being said, they'd probably be in trouble if they hadn't have brought him in. So I think it was a reflection or a reaction to the situation they were facing and were about to face with the with the transfer restrictions and I was probably while overpaying, it was probably reasonable business. Yeah. And it opens them up. I mean, I think it'll make Chelsea more popular in America, and that's a big and growing market uh, for the sport. Yeah, that is certainly the kind of in the similar to the way that uh, Barcelona recently signed that young Japanese player, mm. whose and name is escaping me. <laughs> and Manchester United, Manchester United have done it in the past too, so they've yeah. opened themselves up to new markets. Arsenal are interesting in that uh, there's a lot of, uh, now that they've signed Pepe, there's a lot of talk that they have mm-hmm. a front three which can challenge uh, Sa- uh, Mane, Salah and Firmino as the best front three in English football. It's obviously a great signing. Yeah, they've made a couple of really good signings. Ceballos is also a really good He's on. I mean, he's online, yeah. but hopefully they can. Hopefully yeah. he can enjoy being around. Maybe he'll want to stay. I think if anything, that's an exciting thing because he wasn't getting the chances he deserved at Real Madrid, and I think it'll just be fantastic to see him getting game time because he's a fantastic player. So I look forward to watching him. Mm. The, yeah. The issue Arsenal... that Arsenal have is that they haven't invested in their defense at all. Yeah. And also, I mean, that, that goes without saying, and they were porous at the back last season. Mm. The other thing is they've still got uh, quite a bit of value in positions in their squad that aren't going to get utilised uh, properly. So you've got this incredible front three, which means that you pretty much have to play a 4-3-3. You need creative midfielders in a 4-3-3, but they also have to work both ways. And that's always been the knock on someone like Mesut Ozil, is that he's a he's you know world class in one direction, but non-existent mm. going you know working back. And obviously that was a big story last year with Emery basically not using Ozil at all for long periods of the season. Yeah, I, that's the issue is that if you're going to be if you're going to utilize Ozil properly, it means the rest of your midfield has to be quite rigid. 
Mm. Which isn't necessarily necessarily how um, Emery wants to be playing. No, and it's asking a lot of guys like Granite Jacker and Awobi and those types that they have to cover when they've got, mm. you know, maybe not enough support working back from the players in front of them and a questionable back four, or, you know, defensive group behind them. At the same time, though, Ozil is an incredible creative player and I think is quite a good asset. Mm. I'm surprised they didn't, at some stage, Emery didn't go the, the, the diamond, the 4-4-2 with the diamond, considering he had Lacazette and Abemiang or Ozil's a false nine or something like that, just to... I mean, if you've got a player who's that good in that, that respect, you've got to try and at least try and find a way to use him and unlock that potential. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the, probably the first job as a manager, especially at, at any level, is that you need to utilize what you have especially when you first join a club and it's like what Jurgen Klopp has said about why they played why Liverpool played such attacking football when he first joined up and it was because he had what like eight attacking players Mm. he had to uh he didn't have the great defensive players so he thought he had to outscore teams and he doesn't believe that anymore well he doesn't yeah he doesn't have to anymore Mm. Um, That'll be interesting one. I, I mean, I yeah, I like them for that fourth spot because I think there'll be days where they just come out and put five or six past teams, and will look it'll look pretty easy doing it. But on at other times, uh, I mm. think they'll get opened up and get four or five scored the other way. I, I think what they've done is they've definitely closed the gap on Tottenham that they have. And that's and what's really important to Arsenal fans is closing the <laughs> gap on Tottenham. <laughs> so, yeah. The other thing is that they've, I think they've pulled away from the, from the, from Chelsea and United, which is, I, I don't think you could argue that either Chelsea or United have a better squad than Arsenal do, mm. which is, they yeah. definitely needed to get a centre back this window and they haven't done it. So, like, I mean, that, he's not on the team. They've they've bought a centre back, but he's been kept out on loan to his original club so he'll arrive next year so it's an interesting one it's it's not necessarily a big club move doing that buying someone and letting them stay at their original club for one more season no but uh, we'll see uh the other member of the big six we haven't got to talking about is manchester i've been making all the headlines in the last week or so by splashing 85 million pounds for harry Maguire. yeah um, what you have to remember about that is, you know, half of uh, 40 million of that 80 million is not having to watch Chris Smalling or <laughs> Phil or Jones in the, starting, in the starting 11 anymore, which I'm Imagine sure a lot signed... of love. Imagine they signed Phil Jones to a contract extension in like January last year or January this year. So I, I don't, I can't imagine they're protecting his value. Mm. Very odd. Cause I've got, Obviously, those two guys, they've got Eric Bailly, they've got Harry Maguire, they've got Lindelof. So they've got, they've got depth in terms of sheer numbers of defensive options. I haven't really felt there's a clear vision from Solskjaer about how he wants Manchester United to play. I think it's still, let's, let's just go and get the best players available and spend the most money. Yeah, they're, they're still just not learning from their mistakes and... Honestly, at this point, it's incredible. Um, not to say that Maguire isn't a very good player. I just don't, it's not a sensible signing, is it? But maybe when you when you have such a big brand around your club, you don't need to make those kind of signings that you put a little bit of thought in. But I, I think it's, the results are showing that you do need to put thought in. They have had some long-term defensive issues, but I still don't think I still think their their strategy would be if I was if I was managing Manchester United, I'd be thinking Rashford's our best young player and he could be world class. We should be building a team and a system around him at the centre of, of of a front line, 
whether it's a front three or a four two three one or something else. He's the guy you build around. The guys who you don't think you can, who are who aren't going to be useful, you you try and move on. Obviously, they have one guy, a forward who is almost impossible for the move on, and Alexis Sanchez. Mm. But the other guys, you keep, you use. You know, they've re-signed Juan Mata, who was out of contract this summer. Uh, they've still got some useful types that who, who they can use around Rashford, but you can't be building a, a, a team to challenge for a Premier League title around someone like Lukaku. So it has to be someone who's got more more strings to his bow, like Rashford. Yeah, ab- absolutely. They... They just need to find some sort of direction, and I don't know if that's what they thought they were doing with um the appointment of Solskjaer. But mm. I think they got carried away. You know, I think yeah. when they appointed Solskjaer, who who had this release clause in his contract for the team he was managing in Norway, that he could walk into the Manchester United job at, at the drop of a hat. Mm. But he was available; he was happy to do it. But I still think when they sacked Mourinho, they were thinking Pochettino, and they've just got to get through the end of the season. And then they also, they sacked Mourinho right before their easiest part of the schedule. So Solskjaer gets this easy run of games. They win a couple of important games. I think they beat Tottenham in January. But Tottenham had just just got within striking distance of the top two. So suddenly they fell in a heap for a little while. Hmm. And they got carried away with the success. As soon as they signed Solskjaer, they fell in a heap again. So... That and, you know, there's no way Liverpool or Manchester City would tolerate the Pogba shenanigans at all. They would have just been like, you're out. We're going to cash in. Yeah. This is not worth yeah. the trouble. It, it's a case where they've allowed players to be bigger than the club for quite a while now. Mm. And it's... Maybe they're in a similar mindset to the big clubs from the rest of Europe because it is more... The the culture of clubs having more p- power than the player is a very English thing. Mm. If you if you go like you, for instance, you know Real Madrid, Barcelona, the it, the case is that almost always the player has more power than the club, and it's a lot more accepted there. And but you'd think part of a big big club mentality would be that you don't let. You don't let a player like Pogba behave like that. Yeah, you could easily sell Pogba for most of what you paid for him, at the very least, and then use that money to go and buy players who want to play at Manchester United, who aren't going to be bigger than the club, who will be able to fit into a system. Pogba at his best is absolutely world-class, but I think it. I think we all know it just needs to, it needs to be a little bit about him. And... Uh, He's not going to be the best player in that Manchester United team when they're, if they can get back to where they were. Yeah, he's he's not the player to be building the squad around, mm. and the sooner that they realise it, the better. I think there's, I think they're holding out for a sweetheart. I think they're holding out for something like a, you know, Coutinho money, mm. which is which is which is silly because, you know, I know some Liverpool fans are unhappy with how Coutinho behaved, but. Compared to what Pogba's done, it was, you know, all class. Uh, he wanted out in that summer window. As soon as it wasn't going to happen, he came back into the team and started banging in goals and without complaint. He just waited, did his job patiently until the next transfer window and then got what he wanted. So I think, even possibly, they were probably expecting him to. They've been, I think they've been expecting him to go to Real at some point. Mm. Um, but Real spent hundreds of millions of dollars on other players this yeah, transfer window. They just simply can't afford them at this stage. Yeah, they obviously they spent a lot of money, but it would certainly be a very Real Madrid signing. Mm. It, it's more of a Real Madrid slash Paris Saint Germain signing than a Barcelona signing. Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Um. The only thing is that would Manchester United reinvest that money well? And I'm not sure they would. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think they have to think about who their next 
holding, you know, the next holding midfielder will be. They have to think about, you know, really world-class support for Rashford on the wings, that sort of thing. And I'm not sure they would... I mean, the, the, the sort of, pomp, you know, Pogba or Lukaku for Diablo sort of thing, I think Diablo would probably present a lot of the same problems. And in terms of system and structure and, and that sort of thing. And if you, if things didn't go well, you know, things could turn sour pretty pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, it all comes back to just that situation of looking for the big name and not the right player. And Yeah. No worries. Uh, the next tier of teams I've got down are Leicester City, who obviously now have nearly £100 million burning a hole in their pocket, Everton, Wolves, and West Ham. Can you see any of those four teams challenging for the top four this season, considering everyone's expecting Chelsea to not be as competitive this season as last season? Can they leapfrog an Arsenal or a Manchester United? A top four? I don't think so. Mm. Oh, I mean, you never know. Obviously, cr- yeah, crazy things can happen. You know, Wolves could go on a huge run at some point. Yep. Obviously, Wolves' Wolves' season has started already. They're currently waiting their way through uh, qualification rounds for the Europa League. But they were a revelation last season. They were incredibly tough to beat right throughout the season, right from the start. And it was just a wonderful performance from a newly promoted team. Yeah, it was. And they've invested a fair bit in the transfer window so far as well. Mm. I mean, that's it- that's what should happen for promoted teams in their second season. The TV money gets put in the bank and you can start to take the next step yeah and the other thing is that they haven't the way the ways that they have invested have hasn't necessarily necessarily been an entire overhaul of the squad which can be a worrying thing sometimes mm. yeah last year they had it i mean i think they've gone about it the right way they've got a, a specific system uh an excellent manager a really good mindset, a, a, a home ground where teams don't want to visit. I think they've got a lot going for them. And I just hope they don't hit the same sort of hurdles as other, as the teams that, the, the lucky seventh, the, the third team in the Europa League has seemed to encounter the last few years, whether it's been Southampton or Burnley. You know, they, they've sort of struggled domestically mm-hmm. while they've been trying to fight it. A, a rare European appearance. I think the difference is that Wolves are a lot more bankrolled than those other clubs have been. I think they're they're much better set up than, for example, Southampton or Burnley were. Does, um, how, does, how do you think Leicester spends the money? Obviously, it's getting a bit late in the transfer window now for, for this one, but do they... Um, I'd be thinking just about a like-for-like like because there is now a weakness at centre-back for them, which is the biggest gaping hole in their squad. Mm. They're, they've got a fantastic midfield. Indeed, he is an amazing player. Yeah, they've, they've brought in Perez, which is a really good signing. It is. I mean, he is an absolute pest. He's one of my least favourite guys to see on the other side of the pitch when I'm watching a Liverpool game. He... He gets under people's skin. He's good on the ball. He's talented. He scores goals in big matches. I, uh, I mean, uh, as if Jamie Vardy wasn't worrying me enough when we play Leicester, um, and he is one of the guys. When I'm watching, when Leicester City come up on the schedule, I'm like, I'm going to be on my edge of my seat for ninety minutes. Yeah, and, um, Madison is also a fantastic player. Mm. He's like twenty-two, twenty-three, too, isn't he? I mean, he's got. Mm. A couple more and, really good years, probably at Leicester, before he gets poached by someone else. But if they take the next step, he might stay. And he has that knack for creating something out of nothing, which is mm. just a fantastic quality to have on the pitch at any time, obviously. Mm. And they've got very good wing backs. Chilwell is a, obviously a fantastic player, and a lot of people surprised he didn't leave this summer. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's going to be very competitive in that. Uh, that group of teams just below probably the top two or three. Um, is this the year that Everton finally take the next step into that group? I mean, I think they've spent the Lukaku money pretty wisely. It took Tottenham 
a year or two to see the benefits of the spending spending the bail money is is it a similar type situation yeah um i think they have um they're definitely much better positioned than they were last year and they have a very solid squad mm. there's maybe a few areas in which you'd want to improve a bit they might want a bit of a like a one more solid midfielder the signing of Moise Keane is quite exciting, I, I would imagine, if you're an Everton fan. We didn't have too many problems scoring goals last season, for the most part. Uh, Rich Allison was a good signing last season. They've got uh, mm. other players. It, so The issue that they had last season was that most of their opportunities on goal were coming from outside of the penalty area. Mm. Um, which is because they didn't really have a fantastic out-and-out Striker. Yeah, they've got a lot of forwards, but not a like a centre forward or a striker, a yeah. target man, a, a focal point. Chenk Tosun wasn't exactly what he'd been promised to be. I, I think he was signed expecting that he would be a target man, but that's not really the kind of player that he is. Mm. And I think that's probably what they're looking for in Kane, is that he can just generate some more opportunities from inside the penalty area, which is obviously what very good teams do. Yeah, they get they get the you know, the the great chances rather than just opportunities to score. It's the ones that should go in. Yeah, I mean you look at teams like Manchester City where most of their goals come from within eight yards of the of the net. Including their goal in the community shield was from about two feet out. So we've got three new teams in the Premier League this season. We've got Sheffield United, we've got Norwich, and we've got Aston Villa. Uh, what do you think are the chances for those three teams to uh, avoid relegation and stay up in the Premier League? It's an interesting one because two of the sides a lot of people don't really know too much about, which is always an interesting situation. Norwich are the really interesting one to me. Yeah, they've been promoted with some ridiculously low spend even for a championship team is what I understand. Yeah, they've made some very clever signings to get up to the Premier League and they've got a very good manager who a lot of, like, isn't really very well known around the Premier League in Daniel Fark who plays some very nice football, very Attacking-minded, nice to watch, and, and they're on the, they're on, they're on opening night, so that'll be interesting against Liverpool first up. Yeah, I think it's probably the best time to play them as well. Uh, Aston Villa back in the Premier League after three seasons out. Nice to see a team from Britain's second mm. biggest city back in the Premier League. Um, they were historically terrible the year they got relegated, and it's good to have seen them sort of bounce back. It took a little while. Yeah, but they do. They face a lot of issues going into this season, I think. They have spent a lot of money, and they've made some good signings, I think, but their issue was that most of a lot of the team that got them promoted were loan signings. So, like Tammy Abraham, and Axel Twanzebe, Tyrone Mings... And another, and they had a lot of older players who've been in and around the Premier League for a long time that have either retired or left the club. These are your John Terry's and your Millie Ednacks, those types. Yeah. Um, it, 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 makes, it makes it interesting. I think a lot of people will be happy to see them back in, but they're going to have a struggle. And Sheffield United, I don't think many people know much about. So. Mm. And they, they've made some... Interesting signings. Jackie Elka is a good one, I think. That experience at the back is going to be very helpful for them. Mm. Yeah, it does uh, seem like that's one that we will just be able to settle them down. And look, I think uh, it's also probably some sort of indication against the good teams. They're going to sit back, put the two walls of four up and play on the counter and have none of the ball. So, Yeah, it's been pretty clear in the transfer market where their priorities have been. Hmm. And um, it'll be interesting to see whether it's enough to keep them up, because sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't when you go for that approach. 
Yeah, and obviously Norwich aren't going to go with that approach. They're going to try and score and play attacking football and go maybe more down the Wolves route that they did last season. Um, Aston Villa, we're not so sure, but uh, Sheffield United look like they're going to take that bus and try and park it and try and eke their way to 40 points. I think Villa will play an attacking brand of football like they did in the championship. Mm. They like to get forward with their wing-backs. The issue is, will they be able to score goals because they don't really have a striker, which is right. an issue. And, you know, if you're going to have that sort of team, you probably you probably need a big target man or someone who can... Mm, which is what Tammy Abraham was, but yeah. not being able to get him back is a problem. Mm. So we've, uh, we've talked about 13 of the teams in the Premier League. That means seven teams who didn't, who weren't in our estimation for the top 10 this season or... And uh, we're in the cha- we're in the Premier League last season. I'm going to save one of the put one of them aside. But uh, the other six teams, what do you think about uh, how those teams are going? Crystal Palace, Brighton, Bournemouth, uh, Watford, uh, um, those types. Watford, it's I mean, they'll probably have another mid-table season. You'd imagine they've got a very good squad, but. I don't think they've invested in any way that makes me think they're going to push on. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting with a lot of those mid-table teams. I think it because it's always hard to know. Yeah, like a a team that's been up for a little while can just collapse eventually. I think um, there's a few people thinking that Burnley's the sort of candidate for that this season. That they sort of struggled last season and yeah, haven't abs- made a lot ab- of moves. That would be what I would think as like as well. They they're at risk of going stale, that's for sure. Especially with such a rigid team. You know, they're very hardworking. There's, I mean, there's certainly the old-fashioned English football muck in, make a tackle, set pieces, that sort of, that sort of mindset, which sort of it comes from the top down there. But maybe hmm. English football just... The longer it goes, the more and more it moves past that. That's definitely the case. And you've seen teams that do that before. In the past, they'll have a season where they just struggle to score. Or something like that. Things just go wrong. It's it's a tactic that doesn't always see you through. Same with Sheffield, too. You would imagine are going to take the same approach. A lot of newly promoted sides take that approach and don't Cut it. Last season was unusual that two of the, the two of the three promoted teams went straight back down uh, in Cardiff and Fulham. Fulham spent a fortune, uh, and the other team Wolves qualified for Europe. It was all duck or no dinner for the promoted teams last season. So I think the year before that they might have all stayed up. So there's no rhyme or reason to how promoted teams go. It varies from year to year. So. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Yeah, so the we've talked about nineteen of the teams uh, in the Premier League this season, and the twentieth is a team that Declan has a soft spot for. And that's Newcastle United. I think we're both of the opinion that the f- the future looks bleak for Manchester for sorry for Newcastle United this season. Yeah, and the only way it's fixed is. A takeover at some point, mm. and well, it was it, ha- it was on the cards in the in the summer, wasn't it? That something yeah. was afoot and, and it fell through. But I think anybody who's a supporter of Newcastle United would have been very skeptical about the situation. There's been so many times that Mike Ashley has looked like he was going to sell the club, dating back to quite early in his time as owner, mm. and. It just hasn't happened, and it it feels like at this point he's almost holding onto the club out of spite. I think there was a, there was an interview recently where he said that um, he could potentially own Newcastle forever, which is a really bleak. <laughs> a really well, one bleak would need to not sport. die to uh, <laughs> own the football club forever. But yeah, I mean. This is a this is a bugbear for me in terms of uh, sports owners. I don't see the point of owning a sporting club to have it merely as a money making 
uh, machine because there's thousands of different businesses that do other things that you could do for that purpose. Yeah, and it's just, it, it's just not profitable enough to make sense. Mm. But last year, Newcastle, under Rafa Benitez, they stayed up. It was somewhat comfortable. I think, I think it was clear probably in March, April that they were going to stay up. But they weren't great away from St. James Park. But at St. James Park, they beat Manchester City in, in the second last week of the season, ran Liverpool pretty much right to the line in a game that Liverpool just had to have. That was what they were capable of. Yeah, and really with the squad that they were able to do that with, it was like Rafa Benitez worked miracles with Newcastle United. Yep. And was given no support from the from Mike Ashley. Rondon. And it's really a shame. And Rondon is gone now, which and is he a... scored in both of those games. He looked he was wonderful, maybe the best just he one was of the one best of the... hold up players in the world. I I I would say that he is. I he's fantastic to watch. He's I don't think there's really anybody in the world at the moment who plays that role as well as he does. Yeah, I think and whoever whoever manages to get him on on their well, obviously he's followed Rafa to China now. So okay, yeah. Well, I'm sure the Chinese will love <laughs> having the best hold up player in the world, considering it's a league <laughs> where players where highly paid players go to, you know, earn their superannuation with all due respect to the, the Chinese league. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think the other thing is this will, if they do get relegated and you and I both think that they will, um, it will be the third time in about 12 years they've been relegated at one of these stages, it's going to stick and they're going to become a championship team, you know, basically mm. for a while. Last two times they've gone straight back up. Well, I honestly, without Rafa Benitez, they could have been in the same situation that Sunderland is is in at the moment, and it's just not acceptable that it's such a big club. They regularly bring in close to fifty thousand people to St James Park, and they've got a worldwide following. They've got a, yeah. It it just isn't acceptable that this is the way that they're being run. Who would have more worldwide fans, uh, Newcastle United or Everton? Oh, it might be pretty even. Yeah, to be quite Everton, honest. Everton had a hugely successful period in the eighties where they won a league title and an FA Cup, I think. So, which is not that long ago. Um, oh. Yeah, I worry. I mean, a team like Newcastle with that one of the great stadiums in English football, in world sport, maybe. Uh, this insanely loyal uh, fan base who have been just mistreated for so long. At some stage, you throw your hands up in the air and think, I've got better things to do with my time rather than be treated like this. And it's just, it's really disappointing. It's it's not a nice thing to see. Because Newcastle is a very working class city. For the Mm. people... Oh, that's it. That that club is so important to the community. You've seen what, uh, again, coming back to Liverpool, what's what's happened at Liverpool in a in a very very similar type situation with a very you know another working class city. How things have been able to be to be turned around now. Newcastle United don't have the worldwide following that Liverpool have, but. It doesn't mean that you can't get with the right situation, the right people. You can't turn it around to a point where Newcastle could be regularly competing for European positions. And it wasn't that long ago that they were. Yeah, and that's that's the the misconception almost. I think was it Rio Ferdinand who was on the TV saying that Newcastle fans have unrealistic expectations and that they shouldn't be expecting to finish top four. But that's not what they're expecting. They're expecting to be able to compete with clubs like Bournemouth, even. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they want a situation where they can go to a game and know that the management of the club are trying to win games of football. Yeah. Rather than meet other objectives. You just have to look at the fact that until a few weeks ago, Michael Owen was their record transfer. 
That was post-knee injury, Michael Owen, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, damaged goods. It's just... It's a really worrying situation. Yeah, you're always you... go, you're always going on about how the commentary in FIFA is terrible and it doesn't have any relation to what happens in reality. <laughs> uh, I was playing a game against Newcastle probably about six months ago and Martin Tyler, and it was during the January transfer window on the game, and Martin Tyler goes, oh, here's a club that normally doesn't spend money, but I think they are this time. I mean, when, when FIFA's do it, when the FIFA commentary is uh, cracking <laughs> wise at your expense, I think you have a problem. So, I mean, who isn't cracking wise at Newcastle's expense at the moment, though? It's it's hard not to, but it's yeah. There's a there's a problem, and there's a problem with the signings that they've made as well, which is it is that it's not enough. It doesn't show direction. It doesn't show. I mean, Joel Linton was signed before Steve Bruce even arrived at the club. Mm. So if Steve Bruce decides that you know I wouldn't have signed this guy, then he's probably gonna collect splinters sitting on the bench for the best part of nine months. Well, I, I doubt that because they don't have another striker, essentially. But... <laughs> and they've, and they've um, also lost Perez. So, mm. you know, he was sort of the energy and the heartbeat of the team and had been there a while. So, And what he said on leaving the club was quite sad as well. And he, he said he would have wanted to stay. Hmm. But you can't spend your whole career at a club that's so toxic. And you can't spend when you've got the opportunity to go somewhere and actually try having you know try and attempt to win trophies, regardless of whether it's a league cup or something like that. Then you know I think you've got to, eventually you think oh my career is only, I only have my football career for so long I've got to take this opportunity or I'm never going to get it again. Yeah, you could it's... tell that he didn't want to leave, but he basically felt that he got, like he had no choice. The problem becomes obvious when players that want to stay and that love the club are put in a position where they can't because of a lack of ambition. Mm. It's 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 really sad. I hope for the Newcastle fans that it doesn't play out like we all think it's going to, but I'm afraid it will. Um. Moving on to European competitions and specifically talking about the English teams, can Liverpool make three Champions League finals in a row? Are that, is, that, is that a realistic possibility? There's no reason why not. I, I mean, I think that that team can go out and beat, beat anyone in Europe. They're the team you don't want to play. They're number one on the list. Mm. And it's almost like now it's been proven that there is no deficit in an away leg that can't be overcome at Anfield. 3-0 to Barcelona, it was, there was no chance, and it's still one of the, more, one of the most incredible games I've ever seen. It's, it's just about my favourite Liverpool game I've ever seen now. And the, the, winner, the, the knocking off the title holder, which was Man City in 2014 when Coutinho scored that goal and we thought we were going to win the league. Klopp is still yet to lose a two-legged tie in Europe as manager of Liverpool through three competitions. Mm. So that's... It's a ridiculous statistic. Ten ties against teams like Dortmund, uh, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, poor old Porto twice, Manchester City, AS Roma. They're not mugs they're knocking off here. No. Yeah. Should Manchester City prioritize the Champions League this season? I don't I don't think I don't really believe in a, any club prioritizing any competition in If you're an ambitious team like Manchester City are and Liverpool are, you want to be prioritizing every every game you go into. Fair enough. I mean, I just see like Manchester City it's the one hole in the trophy cabinet is big ears and they haven't really got to the... Have they made a semi-final yet? I don't think they... I think the last two years they've been knocked out in the quarterfinals by another English team, so... I can't remember. I think I think they did. I mean, obviously, it's the one that they want to win. And honestly, mm. as, a, as a Liverpool fan, you almost want them to win it just so Pep Guardiola will have won it. <laughs> Does it make consider... it more likely to leave? And then, you know... I, 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 think, it, I think it probably would. Um... Because that's obviously what he's aiming for whenever he goes to a club. 
but obviously that's just um hypothetical. No worries. Tottenham, any chance to replicate their incredible run? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I I think could Tottenham I, I fans. Could Tottenham fans look at Liverpool the year before making an unexpected run of the Champions League final and losing and think, we can do it the second year like Liverpool did it? Absolutely. There's no reason to um, no reason to think that they won't. It's similar you, similar to how you look at um, Ajax making the semi-finals of the Champions League last season after having lost the Europa League final to United. And it shows that losing those European finals can teach you a lot. And yeah. it it drives a team. Absolutely. Did Chelsea get out of the group? It's hard to really know what, what's going to happen with Chelsea because of the situation they're in. I think after a few weeks in the Premier League, we'll probably know better what they're going to be like. Mm. You also need to see what group they get. I think they're... Uh... I think they're the, I think they're the only English team that's. Oh, sorry, they are in pot one, so they'll avoid all the best teams because they won the Europa League. So mm. they won't get a difficult group, and and that works well for the English teams as well. They're all in the first two pots. Liverpool, Chelsea, and Manchester City are all in pot one, and Tottenham are in pot two. So there's going to be one or two teams in their group that they should really be able to deal with. It doesn't all go well if Chelsea are. Or, or Tottenham are of opinion that uh, we can't win the Champions League, so we want to also avoid the Europa League so we can make a run in the second half of the season with a fixture that fixture list that isn't too crowded. But Yeah, I, I don't think they'll be prioritising European football, but yeah, it's really difficult to know what they'll, what they'll do. I, th- I think that they should... They've got the players there, they should be able to get out of the group, as long as it's not too difficult a group. Mm. Fair enough. Can uh, Arsenal or Manchester United win the Europa League? I mean, realistically, we should be looking at a Premier League team in the final of the Europa League every season. Mm. Um, and last year, they took it seriously enough that both teams were <laughs> English teams. Obviously, need a bit of luck with the draw, but uh, yeah, last season, especially for Manchester United, who I don't think have any chance of finishing top four. I think Europa League has to be a big goal for them. It's the road into the next year's Champions League, isn't it? Mm. It's more likely than top four. I, I mean, I I tend to agree. And uh, Wolves, any chance of doing anything in the Europa League? Realistically, they if they play well, they should get out of the group. I, I actually think they have a, a team that's pretty well suited to have a bit of a run at the, at the Europa League. Um, they're a lot... Uh, there's a lot more talent in there than a lot of the clubs of similar levels that have played in that competition in the last five years or so. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're obviously more talented than Burnley were last season who didn't get into the group stage. Um, teams like Southampton and West Ham before them. So, absolutely. Well, we're just about to finish up. Final predictions. Declan, who do you think is going to win the Premier League? Top four and uh, golden boot for those who might be interested. Who do you think? Premier League winner um, first. I'm going to go with Liverpool. Just out of hope. <laughs> you have to feel at some stage that something's going to happen to Manchester City and they're just going to run out of a little bit of luck. They're obviously an incredible mm. talented squad top to bottom. They've just put 198 points on the board. Uh, they've dropped 30 points total the last two seasons, but some stage they're going to hit a run where they'll struggle. They'll, the injuries will just be too many. Someone, yeah. one of their older players will fall off. You know, their, their form will drop off to an extent that they uh, can't keep it up. And yeah, it's been a long time since someone won three Premier League titles in a row. And this is the thing, is that, it, that those two sides are so close together that you could flip a coin on who, which one of them might win the Premier League if you're predicting it. Mm. It's it's that close. And it, I wouldn't want to... I don't, I don't really want to pick one. I don't, I, if, I, if someone gave me $5 and said you had to put money on someone to win the, the Premier League, I'd probably put it on Manchester City, but almost as a reverse jinx. Um, 
other teams in the top four, assuming it'll be Liverpool and Manchester City in one, two in some order? I, I would I would put my money on Tottenham and Arsenal. I tend to agree as well. And I think Arsenal have a shot at third. Yeah, I think it's gonna be close between them. Yeah. Um I think But I think that they're quite a while ahead of Chelsea and United. Yeah, I tend to think it'll be sort of mid April when we have a pretty good idea who's gonna to be top four. As in there'll be, you know, multiple games gap between fourth and fifth. Yeah. I think that's definitely the case. Who's getting relegated? Well, <laughs> um, as much as I don't like to say it, I think Newcastle will probably be in there. And I'm going to go with um, go with Burnley. I'm going to put Sheffield in there as well, just because they seem the least prepared mm. for the Premier League. I think most years, at least one team... That it comes up, goes straight back down. I think Sheffield's slightly more likely than Villa. I think Norwich are probably going to be 13th, 14th. I think I do think Newcastle are going down because I, I think if something was going to change there, it would have changed already. And yeah, it's hard to go past Burnley. I can actually see Burnley finishing 20th. I, I just think that that's that that's a that's a wearing uh, way to operate, and uh, I can see them going a couple of months without scoring a goal, to be perfectly truthful, and they might have had a couple of nil-nils. But, uh, yeah, I think I think Newcastle, Burnley, and Sheffield United as well. So we, we're in agreement. Yeah. Well, that's a wrap. Um, thanks very much for joining me, Declan. We might uh, try and do this again in the next international break and sort of uh, talk about how the first five, five games before the internet, first international break, which seems another reflection of how early the season is starting. So, Sounds like a good idea. No worries. Thanks for joining me, and thanks for listening in to episode two, the Premier League preview of It Should Go Without Saying. We'll catch you next time.